This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. A week is a long time in football. This is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to the Known and Never podcast. We are... Just leaving St James Park or whatever it's called these days um, after a pretty brutal 2-0 defeat which brings our eight-game unbeaten run to an end. Um, Feeling pretty deflated after that, I'm not going to lie. I don't know if you were on the game and you saw it, but Carrots looked pretty unconvincing to me. They looked kind of flat and a little bit leggy and they were just completely out of sorts and completely different to the um, side we saw on Saturday against Spurs. Um, But you know what, look, look, let's be realistic here. Not every game um, away from home in the Premier League presents itself with an opportunity and this was no different. Newcastle are very, very strong at home and actually they are a side that, despite being pretty close to us in terms of have league table position, are very much on the upward um, trajectory. They are playing very well and they've got a newfound confidence um, after the January transfer window, I think. So we always knew it was going to be a hard place to come. Um, I always say this, especially when Burnley get get defeated. Um, I don't necessarily mind a loss as long as we put up a fight. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that um, we put up much of a fight there, if I'm honest. Um, some initial reports that I've just seen on Twitter walking up to the car um, are very much that they felt that um, Burnley were better in the second half, I think. Uh, I think maybe they were, but do you know what? I don't think there was much in it. Um, and I think if if, the, if there was a desire there in the second half that probably wasn't there in the first, then um, it certainly um, wasn't matched by quality in terms of finishing and opportunities. Um, <clears throat> Crouch came on at the end and for me was just a completely pointless substitution. He really didn't change the feel of the game or create any more chances than Wooden Barnes did at all. Um, so, yeah, I've just... 
just managed to, apologies for being out of breath. I always seem to be out of breath, don't I? These are my immediate match reactions. I think I need to start working on my fitness levels. But to be fair, we just had to walk from the top of the stand, which I swear to God is probably actually on the moon. You're that far high up over um, Newcastle's away end. Um, I think we cheated on the way up and, and me and my dad got the lift. But otherwise, it's it's a pretty long trek. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to have a look at it. Uh, we, you'll be listening to this podcast um, after the Palace game on Saturday. We're going to do a double one back to back this week. So as my immediate thoughts from Newcastle, not an awful lot to talk about really in terms of, of discussion points, just a very lacklustre performance and one that was completely different to the fantastic one that we saw against Spurs at the weekend. So let's get back home to Palace, see if we can get a reaction and we will talk to you after that game. Meh, 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 and meh. Two games, one week, both of them lost. That was a pretty dismal 3-1 home win against Palace. And I'm feeling really, really, really meh about the whole thing. That was um, equally as disappointing a performance as um, Tuesday nights was away at Newcastle and that was um, definitely definitely not Burnley back to their best and wasn't the reaction that we were expecting at all after Tuesday night. Um, so that's it a really important week for us with two teams who were around us in terms of, of relegation fight and we've, we've dropped six points and I'm really worried just on the basis that we're running out, I think we, what is it now, nine games left? And we've still got to play four really tricky fixtures in that. So we're running out of games where we can realistically hope to get something out of it. Now, I think we're all right because I think I've just seen that Cardiff got beat. So I think that still puts us five points um, adrift. So um, that obviously that Cardiff game at home is going to be pretty rough. But today was just really, really poor. Um, Ashley Westwood did make it back into midfield, which I think we were really struggling with on, on Tuesday night without him. Um, but there was just it was yeah it was it was a pretty difficult they were just a little bit more ruthless than we were i think weren't they i think they just every pass was meaningful and it, you know they didn't have aimless balls and they didn't get rid of energy that they didn't need to and they were pretty ruthless with their um scoring and especially their goals were ridiculously good um whereas i think we were a little bit huff and puff and pass it around and not really doing anything with it um i thought we were all right in the first half actually i wasn't too too concerned but the second half was really really disappointing um i don't, I, I can't really think straight of where we are in terms of the table i'm pretty sure that's on us about I don't think we're in 15th anymore. I think we're 16th. And I think, but I think still with five points clear. Um, and I think we've got quite a few things to talk about when we get back into the studio with the boys and we start looking at um, breaking it down and, and trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, I suspect we'll probably just talk about both games and, and see what the difference was between the highs of last Saturday and the, the lows of this Saturday. But hey, you know, that is football, isn't it? That is why we love the game. And that is why... We have to go through this roller coaster of emotions. Um, I will see you all back in the studio and we will dissect that. But in the meantime, nah.
And indeed, here we are, fresh from back-to-back Premier League defeats. You've just heard the immediate match reaction of both of them. I am back in studio mode, in the warmth, away from that hill. (laughs) Slightly less out of breath than I was the last time that you all heard from me. And I'm joined by ever by my two boys, Statman Dave and Robbie Kopak, who this week is going by Rob Lordstand. So good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Good evening. So, we've had um, a funny week that we need to talk about this week, boys. Um, Not a red letter week, and it is just absolutely hilarious to me how quickly a week can change the dynamics of how you feel about your football club. Um, Obviously, sounds a little bit dramatic, because clearly we love our football club, but... This, you know, the last time we recorded a podcast, we were on cloud nine looking at the home win against Spurs, delighted by a terrific performance, clinical um, win, and just, you know, eight games without a loss, clawing our way up the, up the table. Um, but we always knew that whilst the Spurs was a bonus win, that this was a really critical week for us away at Newcastle and at home to Palace, two teams that going into these games were on either same or very similar points to us and also trying to get away from uh, relegation. And, <sighs> Robbie, the worst possible outcome, two defeats. Yeah, it's not good enough. Um, like, 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 like you just pointed out there, it's... You know, eight unbeaten. We beat we beat Spurs, and then I saw the Newcastle game. I sort of wrote off. I was like, it's away from home. It's one bad day at the office. I, I were keen to move on from it. Good opportunity at home to Palace to, you know, bounce back, and it was so disappointing. At, you know, half time we're one nil down. It's not too bad, but the second half, the way we started the second half was really really poor. Um, yeah, it just wasn't good enough, unfortunately. Okay, are you talking about Newcastle or Palace there? Because I think one of those both merged into one. I think you went straight into Palace then, didn't you? Which is which is good. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. No Newcastle, I'm going straight to Palace. No, 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 it's fine. I'm just trying to remember that we've got to cover both games. Um, Dave, 2-0 away from home, 3-1 at home. That's five goals conceded in two games. And it puts us down to 16th in the table, albeit five points clear. Now... I'm trying to sort of look on the bright side of this. And, and I guess you look at those three games, the Spurs game, the Newcastle game and the Palace game. And we all thought that if we got four points, I mean, obviously we would have loved to have six, assuming we didn't, we weren't ever going to get anything out of Spurs. But assuming we could get a point away at Newcastle, which would have been a greater point away from home and win our home game against Palace, four points would have been a decent result return from those three games. Well, we got three, so really we're only a point behind where we expected to be. Uh, yeah, we we won the wrong one, though, didn't we? I mean, it's uh, fantastic the win we had against Tottenham and the performance on the day, and everyone was uh, elated after that result. But um, we've still got to do it against the other teams as well, and the teams around us, um, we have struggled against a little bit. I mean, we're, we're fortunate in some ways, I think, that uh, um, Cardiff are the only team in the bottom eight, I think, who we've still got to, to play in the remainder of the season. Um, you're sometimes better off playing teams in the middle of the table, although we have got some teams in the top six to play as well um, before the end of the season. But yeah, from a, a Burnley fan's point of view, sometimes if you've got lots of uh, games remaining against those teams around you, 
um, the the pressure can get on in those games. I think maybe that did a little bit. I think perhaps we took our foot off the pedal a little bit and we paid the price for it. We've, we lost um, to both sides earlier in the season. I, I think from memory, they were back-to-back uh, results against Palace and Newcastle. Um, and then we've lost them in the reverse fixtures um, in the last week. And it's put the pressure back on a little bit. We were um, looking strong. We got to 30 points. Obviously, we're still on 30 points. Um, but we didn't get any points in those two games against those teams around us, and they've kind of gone a little bit away from us now. And it's it's it, it is fine margins around those points. We do keep saying, but you know the difference between sort of getting to thirty points and getting to thirty three points, three points is a massive difference, particularly when Cardiff are, are five points further behind. So we've got to re- keep a real eye on uh, on them in particular. I think that's going to be vital as to how Cardiff do between now and the end of the season as to what that points total is going to be for survival. Yeah, I really agree with that. Well, let's have a look at the the remaining fixtures. I mean, I've I've been quite disappointed with Burnley's form with against the, the teams around us this season because we have struggled. And one of the things that I've, I guess, kind of kept one eye on throughout this entire season was that I felt that we'd let too many games pass against those bottom eight or nine sides um, that we really, really needed to win. And then uh, we've talked about this before, and I think this is one of the things that you and I debated a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at how you categorise a must-win game or not. And a lot of my rationale around that is, is you only have a certain number of games in the Premier League where you can realistically expect to get wins. And that's not being defeated. That's being um, realistic. Now, obviously, that doesn't always come true to form. Look at us. We, you know, we picked up that fantastic result against Spurs, which has really helped. Can you imagine if we'd lost against Spurs? And then, so this week, the, the, the gap, we get, we'd only been two points clear of the relegation zone. Um, but Dave, you've, you've mentioned there, obviously, the game's coming up. Let's have a look at what we've got left to play. We've got nine games left. Liverpool away, Leicester at home, Wolves at home, Bournemouth away, Cardiff at home, Chelsea away, City at home, Everton away and Arsenal at home. Now I'm going to say now, let me just get my little pen and let's work this out. Let's do this together. So Liverpool, I'm going to say, okay, let's caveat this before we start it. Probabilities here. We're probably not going to get anything. So I don't think we're going to get anything from Liverpool. We probably won't get anything at Chelsea away, albeit that could be a surprise result. We're not going to get anything against City at home and we're not going to get anything against Arsenal at home unless that's the home game of the season and Arsenal have literally got nothing to play for. That might be another bonus one. Leicester at home is definitely one we can... I'm I'm going to say three points for that one. Wolves at home, I'm going to say a draw. They are flying and they're trying to get that sixth place. So I think we can realistically get a draw with the home advantage. Bournemouth away, I never have any idea. We could get absolutely turned over by Bournemouth. We could beat them. So I'm going to I'm going to say a point away at Bournemouth. Cardiff at home absolutely has to be three points. If it isn't, we're down. <laughs> and Everton away is another one. It could go either way. So I'm going to try and say we'll get a point away at Everton. Now that gives us three, six, seven, eight, nine. That is only nine points. And that puts us on 39. Now I think looking at Cardiff's run, that is going to be enough because if we get nine points from our last nine games and average a point a game, Cardiff have to get 14 points. I can't believe I had to work that out in my head. Cardiff need to get 14 points from nine games, which given how poorly they've performed recently, 
is not going to be that achievable and it's going to be quite difficult so okay Robbie we'll come to you first does that sound logical or do you think we can can we do you think we can realistically expect to get more than 39 points I, I think 39 is the maximum um yeah right I, in, in my head I'm writing off the last five and I look at Wolves at home and Leicester at home and Bournemouth away. I think they're the big three where we really have to pick something up. Um, especially like Wolves' record against the sides in the bottom six. Like Huddersfield have done the double over them this season, and we need to we need to like get them back for that display we had at Molyneux, which were really poor. So yeah, I look at I look, I look at the two Midland clubs and think about something there, and then Bournemouth away, and then hopefully that'll be enough. Can you just double check though, you're not writing off the last five because the fifth from last game of the season is Cardiff at home. I'm assuming you think we're going to win that one. Oh, sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. talking so about you're the... writing off the last four Chelsea, sorry, City, four, Everton, Arsenal. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, Dave, you're usually a little bit more upbeat about these things. Out of those games, do you agree with that? Do you think we've got the ability to pick up more? Excuse me, I'm coughing all over you guys, I'm sorry. Um, I, th- I think law of averages, that's um, reasonably fair, what you've, what you've said there. I think the, there's, there's definitely upside on it and there's there's possible downside as well. Um, you never know, you could pull a result out of the hat. As you say, at Arsenal, last game of the season, depending how uh, the positions are, that could be uh, all to play for. And that, that does put a different slant on that sort of game, particularly if they're entrenched in a position where it makes no difference to uh, to them where they finish, other than you know there is a financial impetus of uh, of going up a place, which you know, may may not even be the case for them. They may not even uh, be able to do that on the last game of the season. Um, but e- equally with that, that can then take the pressure off and it, it gives a different feel to the game as well. Um, I, I think 39 points will be more than enough. I'm, I'm, you know, Cardiff would have to go on uh, an incredible run for now and they've not really shown much sign of it. Um, they've lost uh, Sol Bamba for the rest of the season to a, a UCL injury as well. So um, they're struggling from that point of view. I think it's going to be tough for them. I think it's always been tough. Um, they pulled a few results out of the bag earlier in the season that were unexpected, um, and that's got them to where they are now. I think of the teams down there, obviously along with Huddersfield and, and Fulham, you know they they look well. Huddersfield certainly looked gone. Um, Fulham um, virtually with them now. It's it's who's going to take that third place to join those two and Cardiff are, are hot favourites, and the bookies odds seem to reflect that as well. Um, it was interesting. I think we, we touched on it in the last podcast about Burnley's odds had, had kind of crept up. We'd gone from being three to one on to go down on Boxing Day, um, uh, back up to twelve to one. I think it was uh, last week. We've gone back to sevens last time I looked. So it kind of uh, those two defeats have uh, have knocked us back slightly. But you know, we are in a position where we are expected to stay up. And I think you know even even two wins from here might be enough. You wouldn't want to rely on it. Um, but I think yeah, thirty nine points would be uh, would be plain sailing. If we we're able to get that, then uh, there, there wouldn't really be a, a problem. Yeah, I think I suspect that thirty seven might be enough, predominantly because I'm looking at this now and I've not fully appreciated Cardiff running. So their last nine games are West Ham at home. It's winnable for them, but you don't really know which West Ham's going to turn up and play. They've got to play away at Brighton. Now, that's a tough game, purely because at the moment, Brighton is slipping down there as well. So, Brighton, buoyed by that Huddersfield result at the weekend, are really going to want to pull away. Um, can't both win. Pardon? 
they can't both win. No, exactly. Yeah, that, well, that's true, actually. That's quite a good result because if one of them loses, that drags the other one into it. Um, they're then going to play Chelsea, City, us, Liverpool. Fulham's a bit of a bonus one because they're already going to be down by then, probably. Palace and Man United. So, to be honest, if you look at that and you, you look at Cardiff's results and say, well, where are they going to realistically get 14 points from to overtake us, assuming we get those nine? Um, three, maybe one against West Ham at home. Brighton, I just think Brighton will have too much for them. Uh, Fulham and Palace, they could Fulham they could win, so that's four points. What point against West Ham? Three against Cardiff. That's <laughs> that's just four points. They've got to get another ten from the Brighton game. Could be one. Let's say there's there's three there, so that's seven. I cannot see from the Chelsea game, the City game, us, Liverpool or Manchester United, them getting another seven points. So I think you're right, Dave. I think I think thirty. I think thirty-seven may very well keep you safe. But we're staying up. We're staying up. <laughs> you weren't saying that off air, Robert. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I was I was going to swap around a little bit, but I think while we're on a roll, let's let's stay on these games and just try and figure out what really we thought the difference was between the fantastic performance against Spurs and the disappointing and I don't mean that to be horrible anyway but they were they were disappointing results and at least three of the halves of football were disappointing performances as well um Newcastle away let's start with that one Robert now I think most of the headlines quite rightly categorised us as being below par and noted that we created very very few clear opportunities and it certainly felt like that on the ground when we were watching even though we were about 45 light years away from from the action where we were sat. Um, Sean Dutch himself thought that we had a bit of a Spurs hangover which I wasn't massively sure that was a thing anymore in modern football but perhaps it was. Um, the key difference before we started the game and one that got us all a little bit nervous before kickoff was the announcement that Ashley Westwood had succumbed to an illness and was missing from the game. Now I know I'm a nervous fan anyway and I would see the doom and gloom but I was nervous as soon as I saw that Westwood wasn't playing. Yeah so, so was I. I think he's Probably a contender for a player of the year for us. So I had to have like a key player in the middle of the pitch, uh, pull out. I think I think it was quite late on, wasn't it? I think it was like min- I think it was the afternoon he got sent back to back home. So it was a, a major blow for us. But one player just can't make that that big of a difference in terms of the way the way we performed on the night was really disappointing. Uh, there's too many players just not on it, unfortunately. You say that though, but I I, I kind of think that one player can make a big difference if that player is the absolute engine room of your squad. Now, Westwood, for me, I agree, is, is one of my players of the season as well. And he has taken over what I consider that Joey Barton role, that fight and that consistency in midfield and just and also a real leadership. For me, he's a stronger captain material anyway than Tom Heaton or Ben Mee any day of the week and I would I would be very happy if, if Ashley Westwood was our captain. Um, Dave I think one of the things that's been picked up on social media this week and maybe been highlighted by the absence of one game of Ashley Westwood was that Cork has very much been struggling a little bit this season. He's, he's had moments of his usual brilliant self that we know and love but he was really poor and he just did not gel well at all with Jeff Hendrick in the centre in midfield on Tuesday. Yeah, it did seem to affect the balance of the side. We know um, Ashley Westwood seemed to have got stronger as the season's gone on and he's really grown into that role. Um, and I see what you're saying as well in terms of um, captain material. I mean, we do have a team 
which has quite a lot of players who've been captain. Um, while Tom Heaton was out, uh, Ben Mee was captain for the majority of the time. Um, Jack Cork's been captain for several games. And we also had one of the European games. I was trying to remember which one it was. I should know because I was um, doing some stats on this last week. Um, but actually, Westwood was captain as well for one of the uh, home games. It was the Istanbul game that he was um, captain for as well. So it, it's good to have a side where you do have um, captains throughout the team and not just one leader. You've got um, other players who can take on that role and responsibility throughout the team. But it just seemed, yeah, maybe a, a step too far in terms of you know Saturday, Tuesday, um, missing Westwood, and we just weren't quite on it in that first half. Newcastle got the uh, the two goals and then you know, once they got the two goals up, they uh, they defended really well. Burnley were, were sort of feeding off scraps really for the rest of the game. And what, what are the other, I guess, disappointing performances of the first half was Dwight McNeil. Um, he, I mean, it's, it's very difficult because he's just exploded onto the first team so effectively and it's he's crazy, crazy, crazy good that when he inevitably was going to have a poorish game or his performance levels were going to drop, it was going to be really noticeable. Because he was such a key part of our um, renewed enthusiasm and our performances post-Christmas. Um, the reason why I'm highlighting this, Dave, is that um, Deitch was very animated and you don't see this very often from Deitch at all, but he was screaming at McNeil in that first half and he was very animated and exaggerated. Exaggerate? Exa- what's that word I'm looking for? Exasperated. Thank you. Um, and he, was, he, was, he wasn't he was shy in showing his frustration with McNeil. And then what he never does as well is he whipped him off at half time and brought Brady on, who I would also add was incredibly ineffective that second half. Um, now, Dave, do you think this is fair? Sean said after the game that he felt that it was just too much to ask of McNeil for Saturday and a Tuesday game and the poor lad just was absolutely running on empty. And I think that's probably fair. We've got to give him that balance, haven't we, at the moment? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's perhaps some surprise that he'd, he'd gone on uh, as, as long as he had. You know, it, it is difficult taking that step up, uh, playing first-team Premier League football at that age. And we've seen it in a lot of other sides, younger players coming through. They're not playing... Um, 90 minutes week in, week out. You look at the likes of you know Rashford for, for Manchester United. He's had to settle for uh, um, a role off the bench quite a lot of the time. He's not. I think now he's getting to the role where, uh, where he's, he's playing a lot more, but certainly when he first came into the side, that wasn't the case. So we do expect a lot of Dwight McNeil. Um, and I think Sean Dyche himself kind of, as you said, admitted after the game that um, he'd made an error perhaps um, picking him. Um, and maybe it was a step too far, but you know he's back in again for uh, for Saturday and and seemed to have a, a, a better well certainly had a much better game against Palace than he did at, against Newcastle. Yeah, really did. He was much more improved. Um, Robbie, one thing for me that I think was perhaps the absolute shining light on Tuesday night was just an absolutely incredible performance by Charlie Taylor, who for me is just probably the most improved player since Ashley Barnes turned into an absolute wonder <laughs> Premier League striker. Um, he, I was showing some real concerns about him by Boxing Day and I was, just, I, and, and I know, I knew it was going to come back and haunt me, but I sent a tweet out asking when Ward was going to be fitting back. But he has proved us all wrong. And Tuesday night, even the Sky Sports commentators who were in the studio watching the game, who had literally nothing nice to say about Burnley at all, could not speak highly of Charlie Taylor. What a turnaround that that guy has had. 
Yeah, I don't think it's a, a, that consist, consistency of just having a run of games and then just having that pick up in form. And it, you know, his confidence does improve, and I just think he's got a, that little bit more license to move forward. He does seem to have a bit more of an attacking threat now than he did maybe pre-boxing day. Um, but I think I, I must admit, I think I've called you out a couple of times, Natalie, about how much it improved. So I like to just mention that as well. Yeah, no, you you did. Yeah, I don't I don't really like it when I'm proved wrong by Robbie because for those of you who don't know Robbie personally, he my God does he hold a grudge, and he remembers the slightest little thing that you said, and you can guarantee that he'll just be like, "I told you this." <laughs> so yeah, I wasn't yep. that I wasn't that happy with that. But no, listen, I we come on this show every single week and we talk about what's out there, and we we. Football is a very fluid sport and opinions change and dynamics change and the forecast changes. Look at this week. This time last week, we were absolutely flying after that Spurs result and now we're all really worried again. Um, But one thing that I've always said and I've always been very strict with myself is that whenever I am proved, if I have to make a strong statement, like at Christmas, I was really questioning Deitch's tactics this season and whether or not he was the man to take us forward. Um, and I will back those up if somebody manages to turn it around. And honestly, Charlie Taylor is turning into one of my absolute favourite players. Um, and I thought he was terrific, both against, actually in both the, the, the games this week, I thought he he was one of the shining stars. Um, we'll be sticking with you then. Um, obviously, we moved to the Palace game, hoping and, and hearing all the reports out of the club that they were going to have a reaction and that they were going to get back on track. And it was just a blip and it was a a one-off Spurs hangover, but that was not meant to be. Now, I'm going to read this quote to you purely because I'm going fishing right now because I know full well the reaction that this is going to get off off Robbie Kovac. Sean Dyche said after the Palace game that he felt that the only difference between the two sides was world-class finishing. And he said that we, we gave a very strong performance with 18 efforts on goal, we had lots of the ball and we had we gave numerous crossing attempts. And actually, in the first half, we dominated the game. Robbie, your immediate reaction to that post-match analysis by Sean Dyche? If you're just talking purely on the first half, I, then I can sort of see where he's coming from. But the second half was just an absolute shambles. I'd never seen... I tell you what, let's, let's just give Wilfred Zaha all the space in the world on that right-hand side. Because <laughs> he needs it. it. <laughs> yeah, let's let him have it. You know, I felt sorry for Charlie Taylor, who had to like, who was on that side, and he had no protection off Dwight McNeil or Robbie Brady, who come on to like, he was just left exposed one v one against Wilfred Zaha, and then for that third goal, when you see Charlie Taylor and Ben Mee literally falling over each other with uh, Zaha tossing and turning into the box, like it was always going to be difficult. Do you think it was just that, though? Do you think that's a fair assessment? Because I've got to say, to me, to me, when I read that, I don't. Okay, I don't ever expect Sean Dyche to come out, and we know he doesn't do this, to come out and say that was an awful performance. We've got to put it right. Sometimes he will, but he words it very well, and it's one of the qualities I really like about him in that he protects his players and he protects the the brand of the club, and he doesn't he doesn't get overly excited when we do pull out a result, but then he also doesn't get overly panicky when we have a poor result. So I, I think I understand where he's coming from, but sometimes you've just got to laugh at it because for me it was more than just first class finishing and. And, you know, you look at some of those things and say, well, we had lots of the ball. We did in some respects, but a great deal of our possession of the ball was just passing it 
side to side, side to side. And then somebody would make a run forward and somebody would just hesitate from passing the ball and they'd just make sure that they switched sides and passed it back to Heat and then we'd try again on the other side before anybody tried to get the ball in the net. We are so, so very laboured when it comes to creating chances. Um, Dave, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I think to say that it's just world-class finishing, I think is giving the game a disservice because... We know that we're struggling for pace in that side and we don't have any at all and it's been a problem for a long time. But I think it doesn't really matter whether you've not got the finishing power if you're just going to pass the ball from side to side in possession for half the game. Yeah, I think the other thing as well is we weren't incite enough crossing the ball as well. I mean, we, the, the crossing was um, uh, something, something that was really lacking, uh, particularly on, on Saturday, I thought, um, yeah, in, into the final third. We just didn't seem to have that cutting edge. Whereas against Tottenham, um, it, it was totally different. It was a really positive afternoon, and we were able to uh, uh, create a lot better um, chances, gain to better positions uh, to, to make those finishes against a, a much better side, uh, Tottenham, than we were. I mean, no disrespect to Palace. Look at the, the, the players Palace have got and the money they spent. Um, I think we dream of um, having the uh, money to spend on players. Uh, that they've managed to uh, to spend, um, and really with the players they've got, they should probably be higher in the table than they are. But you can only beat what's in front of you on the day, and we didn't do that on Saturday. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the manager has come out at the end, and he's he's given maybe a, a little bit of a um, a protective um, view on on things. I mean, yeah, well within his rights to uh, to do that. To be honest, I'd much prefer that than come out and uh, and, and blame the wind or whatever. Uh, uh, Jurgen Klopp was uh, coming out as the excuse for uh, for Liverpool not being able to get past Everton on uh, on Sunday. Um, a lot of the other managers do seem to trot out a lot of uh, excuses, whereas Sean Dyche does tend to give it a little bit straighter in his uh, post-match interviews. Yeah, definitely. And I would much rather have a Deitch than a Klopp. That guy irritates me at the moment. I've got to say, I used to really like Jurgen Klopp, but I lost all respect for the guy after that Champions League final when he just completely left his goalkeeper in the middle of that stadium, trying to half stop crying and half apologise to the fans for an awful performance. And not one person in that team went and put their arm around him and got him off that pitch. You know, I just, you don't get that with a Sean Dyche side. You win as a team and you lose as a team. And I think that's probably where he comes from when he takes the pressure off his players after those games and comes out with, with comments like that. Um, I want to talk about a couple of players. Um, Robbie, coming back to you, we saw Peter Crouch come on in both games in an attempt to try and close something back from the losing positions we were in. Now, I thought on Tuesday that he was completely ineffective. It made zero difference and he looked very much out of his depth. He was almost giving the, the Newcastle players a laugh at the time, you know, that, that he just didn't do anything. But I think in the Palace game, he was slightly more effective. And there was that chance, wasn't there, just as we'd got to 90 minutes where it, it just deflected wide of the post. And if that had got in, we'd have had five minutes. We might have even been able to find an equaliser. How... How are you feeling about Crouch being our backup plan in terms of strike force? Uh, I, I think it depends on how or who is partnering. I think he was alongside Vidra at Newcastle, and like you say, it, was, it didn't really work. Uh, it probably Vidra who looked more likely to create anything, but 
Barnes and Crouch did seem to link up a little bit better. Uh, I, th- I think it was. Um, I think with a Barnes, I think yeah, with a Barnes header which uh, got uh, Crouch in for that chance. So I just think having like this uh, Barnes just to pull away and just try and win those little flick ons suits him that little bit better. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, and I'm not entirely sure that the Newcastle game suited that. Um, whereas maybe the Palace game did a little bit more. And I think actually one thing I would say is that I think we, even though we were 3-0 down against Palace, I thought that our energy to at least try and chase the game was better in the Palace game. I, I never thought at any point in the um, Newcastle game that we were trying to get an equaliser or that we were going to get one. So I think I think that was pleasing to see that. Um, Dave, what's your views on it? Do you, do you share that? I'm just It feels to me like there was a little bit of a comical element to his signing. And, you know, I genuinely thought he'd retired. And people, it was like the, the story of the January transfer window and everybody was was hyping up about it. The club got really excited because its its novelty video went viral. And But really, when you break it down and you look at what he was brought in to do, um, I'm just trying to get fans' feelings of, of whether they think that's been a successful signing or not. Whether it works, it's probably too early to tell. I mean, we've got the the remainder of the season, and then we'll probably be able to make a, a better judgment of it in in May. I thought that um, certainly on Saturday, uh, when Peter Crouch came on, Burnley seemed a lot more effective in that last. I think he came on about eightieth minute, didn't he? Um, that last ten minutes and the uh, added time that was played as well, Burnley looked far more effective. We we did score the goal. Ashley Barnes got a. A consolation, even though I think there was uh, probably less than half of the people who were in the game at the start uh, still there to uh, to see it. Um, and Peter Crouch, you say, nearly got another one, and there were a couple of other chances in there as well. So um, we did look a lot more potent when he did come on, and perhaps if he'd have been introduced earlier, um, then there might have been a, a better chance of getting into the game. But three goals down, it's always going to be uh, a real uphill battle and uh, didn't really see us getting uh, getting back from that, even though Ashley Barnes got the goal. It was uh, very muted uh, celebrations from, from those fans who were left to uh, to see it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Robbie, final one. I've seen quite a lot of... How do I say this nicely? Because I'm a big fan of his. A little disappointment, really, about the form, I guess a consistency in form from Jack Cork this season. I think I saw one tweet this week where one of our fans said that if we had any competition whatsoever for the central midfield roles, Jack Cork would have been dropped a long, long time ago. Um I've seen a little bit. I thought he was terrific against Spurs, but obviously the whole team was. But he really struggled on Tuesday night. But I'd kind of put that down to him having to play with a new central midfield partner. He doesn't really gel that well with with um, Hendrick. Um, but again, I thought he was a little bit out of sorts on Saturday. Um, is it just simply a case of he just needs some rest? Or do you think he's one of the central midfielders who could be vulnerable to being benched if we manage to bring some cover in and some decent central midfielders in the summer? Uh Possibly, um, I think I think with Jack Cork, he has played an awful lot of football since since he actually even joined the club. Uh, I think he played every single game last last season. He played a big part of the European campaign, and then obviously he's been ever present this season, pretty much. And I, I I just think it's really caught up. And I think when the when Burnley are poor, I think he really stands out because Burnley really struggles to control a game. We really struggled to like get a foothold of it. 
And I just think our midfield gets really, I think it gets recognised, especially like as we play quite narrow. Um, but also, I think the two centre backs, I thought they were really poor on Saturday as well. So I think if you're gonna, if people are gonna call out like Jack Cork, Tarkovsky needs to be like called out as well because for his distribution, especially, was really really poor on the day. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I think, um, I mean, look, let, let's be realistic here. I think both the, the games, the players as a whole unit had quite disappointing games. And you've got to look at it sometimes and think, you know what? You can't really single players out. I just, I've just felt like Cork's been struggling for a few weeks at the moment. Whereas on the whole, if you look at, Actually, let's look at it this way. If I was to rate Cork for the whole season, I'd say I'm probably disappointed in him. But if I was to rate Tarkovsky for the whole of the season, I would be generally very pleased with him. I think he's been outstanding, albeit there have been a couple of games where he's struggled a little bit. So I think it's one of those. We've got to be very careful on these weeks where we're feeling a bit gutted because we've got beat and the performances haven't been there, that we don't overgeneralise and start categorising players into, nope, get rid of him or get rid of him and blah, blah, blah. Um. Okay, well, before we go and have a look at the Liverpool game, um, I want to speak to you both about the um, video that was uploaded to the club's website this week, which was billed as a catch-up with the chairman. Now, (laughs) it was a little bit awkward for me because it it was, what, it was about five and a half minutes, the video, and I thought Darren Bentley opened it really, really well, and he's like, so chairman, you know, we always try and catch up a couple of times a season and see see how you're doing and get a little bit of behind-the-scenes gossip. So, you know, how do you think it's all going? And he, he kind of squirms a little bit in his chair, and then re- it's a really awkward segment into, well, the transfer window. And then the whole video is obviously just justification for well actually no that's not fair justification and explanation as to why the July and the January transfer windows were so poor um some of the headlines to take from the video if you've not seen it do go online and see it. it's only about five and a half minutes and I think it is a really important um update for it so some of the highlights from that interview is garlic explained that it was a difficult transfer window um, he noted actually that there were only 19 permanent transfers done in the entire window, which is less than one per club. So with all of the hype that Sky Transfer Deadline Day likes to, to whip up, it actually was a very quiet one. Um, he feels that there's been a change in perceptions and actually the market's quite broken. He thinks that clubs are being much more sensible with their money. Um, and actually, interestingly, that there are discussions at the, at the senior levels in the Premier League clubs to scrap the January transfer window altogether. Together. Um, Dave, let's start with you. One of the points that he did make was whilst he supports the the July transfer window closing before the season starts, which is is right, we're always out of sync with Europe because they they don't close theirs until I think the end of August. Now, one of the points that, that Garlic said in his interview was that they'd been in discussions, quite advanced discussions, with one or two players from European clubs, but he couldn't get the clubs to commit to selling them because it was too early in their season and they didn't know who they were going to get in and they lost deals because of that. Now, that to me is quite worrying given that we are not in the market for English players and we're going to have to go to Europe for a lot of our players. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think it's been well documented going back that um, there is this disparity between what goes on uh, in the rest of Europe and what goes on with the uh, with the Premier League sides. And it is a, a disadvantage. We're having to get all our business done 
up front now. We've we've taken that decision, um, but in, we're ending up, uh, or the clubs are ending up being penalised indirectly for that. Well, directly or indirectly, I guess, depending on your your viewpoint. But the fact that the business has to be done now before the uh, the the balls kicked off for the first game of the season, and at the same time, the other European clubs they can sort of sit and wait. They're not. There's no impetus really for them to come in and and sell their players. Um, the first week of August, if they can wait till the end of the month. So um, it is a little bit unfair that happens. And I think we'd probably quite like to see the um, that being uh, you know, equalised between the, the countries. So we don't, uh, we aren't at a disadvantage to the teams in, in Spain and Italy and Germany and elsewhere. I mean, it's not, I mean, I, I guess one of the other things is that in, in terms of our players being poached as well, but um, I think the big one from a Burnley point of view, as you say, and as, as Mike Garlick's pointed out in the uh, in the video, that uh, we are trying to do business with um, uh, with Europe, trying to get other players in from European clubs. It's not easy for us uh, anyway. It's an extra barrier being put in place when uh, there's this extra three weeks um, in, in terms of that gap between the, the deadline for here and, and there. So I, I can understand the frustration from that. Um, and it's not going to be any different. We're going to have that same issue, I think, coming up for uh, for this summer window as well. Robbie, one of the things that he did also mention, and again, this is probably affects us in terms of, of transfer news, and this surprised me, is, is that he said a half to two-thirds of all the championship clubs are on transfer embargoes, so they can sell but they can't buy. Now, what's happening with that is that that's then massively overinflating um, what they want to get for their clubs coming in because they need to bank that money and use it for other things because if they're going to have to lose players and can't replace them, they're going to need, need sorry, at least need to be rich about it. But Garley did make a point that he was in very um, advanced talks with a championship striker who we'd actually outbid another Premier League club, which it never happens to us. We're usually way, way below them. But we were still 10 to £12 million pounds off what the, the selling club's expectations of his value was. Now, I think we're all pretty much clear that we think that's Jay. Um, now, again, that just really, I guess that really shackles us in the sense that we're either going into the championship or we're going to Europe for our players. And both of those avenues are really cut off for us. Yeah. Um, so who, who did you think it was? Jay. Well, I assume it was Jay. It could have been I, Che I, Adams, couldn't it? Yeah, Che Adams. Oh, God, yes, of course. It's Jay, I think it's Che uh... Adams, yeah. I think that probably is him. Yeah, yeah I was just assuming. Was, of course, because this is a transfer window that West Brom said, oh, no, was that January? Yeah, no, yeah, it was yeah, his January, transfer window yeah. where they said really early on, Jay's not going anywhere, yeah. he's staying for the full season. You're right, it is Che Adams. Yeah, and South, Sorry, South, South, Southampton bid for him as well. So the Southampton's the club who we outbid. So it sort of adds up. But I, I, I actually, I remember reading something just after the January window shut that um, the EFL were going to dock points off Birmingham because obviously they're under a transfer embargo and unless they either save money or make like a significant invest like get a significant amount, amount like income uh because I think we offered like 10 million for Chad Adams which to the EFL is considered like a significant income and they rejected that money so Birmingham could be in a bit of trouble with that interesting I wonder if that's I'll try and find. I'll try and find the link for you. Yeah, I was going to say try and find that because I find that that afterwards. I just God, there's there's just so much. Do you know what? I think that the main thing that I got from this interview, and and believe me, I am 
brutally harsh on garlic in terms of keeping him in check and making sure that he is doing the right thing for the club. Um, I'm not a particular fan of his, but I do trust his judgment with a lot of the decisions that he makes. And I'm, I am very pleased with the way that he has financially run the club. Um, but I think one of the main things that I got from this, sorry, so, so to explain that, so I wouldn't necessarily defend garlic for the sake of it. But one of the main things that I would get from his interview was that it's all very easy for us as fans to say, well, we've been three years in the Premier League now. We must have 150 million quid in the bank. And why aren't we going and splashing all of these players? And just him explaining to us some of the external challenges that he is facing when he's trying to get deals over the line that we don't even think of. I'd never thought for one minute about championship embargoes. I'd never considered the out-of-sync issue with the European markets, both of whom were in there to to massively try and and get players from. And Dave, the bombshell that came out of the interview, which he dropped in there, was, and I quote him, people think we have millions, but the last time I checked, we only had about £24 million in the bank. Now, that has caused some furore on social media this week with people wanting to demand where the money's gone. Now, that to me seems like about right because you look at it and you think, well, we know that our salary each year, our wage bill is about 61 million. So if you you think you're going to get 120 million, 60 million of it has gone on wages already. If we've got 20 million in the bank, that only leaves 40 million left for. the other runnings of the club and I guess infrastructure and training facilities and travel the European travel must have cost a fortune this season I bet we made a loss every single game getting all of the the players on private jets over to to Athens and stuff so actually when you look at that that sounds about right do you Um, agree it it is slightly more complicated than that because it's a rolling situation I'm, I'm, I'm not an accountant I have done little bits with looking at um, company reports in the past. Um, when you look at Burnley's last results that we did publish, which was going back, I think, March, April of last year, which was to the year ending um, middle of 2017, we had um, assets of about 40 million. There's a difference between assets and um, cash in the bank. Uh, when you look at those figures, I think we had about 40 million in assets, of which 20 million was cash in the bank. So we ha- actually had that at the start of the year. And then we're obviously well either building or taking away from that, depending on whether you're making money or or losing money during the um, the, the twelve months after. So uh, the cash in the bank, he, he said twenty four million was the figure that was quoted. And um, he did say the last time he checked, he didn't say how long ago he checked. So you know we've we've had a, um, a cash coming in for um, Sam Vokes, and we don't know how that staggered as well. You know the, that that will come in over, I'm assuming installments as well. So there's potential for that figure to go up. We also don't know when, well, I don't know when the actual Premier League payments are made. I think they're made in tranches throughout the season, whereas, again, you know, the main outgoings, which were the the, the, the player wages, um, they'll be on a, a monthly basis. So there's, it, it is a complex situation. It's a, a it, it is a club. It is a business as well, though. And it's a, a multi-million turnover business that's turning over, well, this year is going to be, you know, well north of 120 million because that's what it was um, last time around, and we'll have made, um, we'll have made more in the 12 months that are reported in the next one that comes out. Um, but yeah, the, the, there is a situation we we do have cash in the bank, 
um, but it is a fluid situation. But I think the, the key point that was made, regardless of the, the number that was mentioned, because as you say, there are other outgoings as well. There's a lot of investment um, in infrastructure, both in the training ground, uh, the new facilities at the club in terms of the corner stands, which are, uh, well, one of them's uh, approaching completion now. Um, these things do have an impact over time and his job, Mike Garlick, as the, the chairman of the club, is there to be, um, along with the other directors, is to be custodians of the club and make sure that we're viable going forward. And I think there is a, a frustration, as you said, that uh, supporters can think, well, yeah, there's all this money coming in and we should be splashing out you know, X, Y and Z for, for players and we can find 20 million for so-and-so or 25 million. That's a big chunk of, of your money whereas you've already got wages coming out as well. Um, and it it isn't that easy when you've not got a, a sugar daddy billionaire owner or clubs who are um, being creative, let's say, with the way that they um, manage some aspects of their finances. Um, we don't have that at Burnley. We've, we've never have done and we won't have going forward. Um, so we have to manage within different constraints and... Yeah, there has to be a, a, a dose of realism, I think, and a dose of patience um, from supporters in terms of the way that the club is handled because we will always be um, a smaller fish in a bigger pond, even though you know the, the, the amounts of money now are much greater than they were in the past. It's still a little bit different for Burnley than it is for the likes of a lot of the teams in the Premier League. We're probably more on par with some of the teams who perhaps have who've just come up, we, we, we've managed to um, stabilise our finances, or even some of the uh, the top teams in the uh, Championship who've still got parachute payments as well. You look at the uh, the amounts they're paying out in wages as well. It's it's staggering. It's eye watering. Some of the uh, uh, the figures that there are for, for the, in the Championship, the likes of you know, Stoke and West Brom and Swansea, who've uh, recently been in the Premier League. Um, and they've got, um, well, still got the benefit of the parachute payments for the time being. So it is difficult, it is difficult, but we have to, uh, as I say, have a little bit of patience with that. And I think we'll perhaps get a clearer picture when the uh, accounts come out, which I think uh, it's either later this month or uh, or early April, I think, if it's round about the same time as last year. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. I always I always lean on you for things like this, Dave, because I always know that you, you have a good explanation for everything. Um I just, I think, like I said, what got me, uh, I guess what I felt at the end of watching that was, number one, I thought it was a really important update. That's why I'm encouraging you all to go and watch it if you haven't seen it already. You won't like what you hear, but that's not necessarily the club's fault. And I think Dave hit the nail on the head then when he summarised it. Burnley's riches are solely on TV money. And if you look at the accounts from championship seasons, we make a loss. Other clubs who you're quoting are saying, well, they're spending, they get the same amount of money. They don't. A lot of the clubs around us who have the rich owners are getting a substantial amount of income that maybe even equals the TV money from other deals. And Burnley just does not have that. So whilst it won't be comfortable in terms that you'll feel a bit, oh, why can't we have some investment and why are we in this position? It will give you a really logical explanation as to just exactly what the board are restricted with in terms of, of spending power. And also, like you say, the, the Che Adams thing and the championship embargoes and the European um, transfer windows, stuff that we'd not even thought of. So please do go on and, and give that a look and then let's just see where we are in the summer. 
Um, Dave, let's stick with you. Sorry, Robbie, we have to keep you quiet for a while. Um, speaking of rich clubs and Champions League and big, massive global brands, we have a small matter of Liverpool at home on Saturday, which is just the game you want when you've just got back-to-back losses against Newcastle and Palace. Although it would be the most Burnley thing ever to beat Spurs, lose to Palace and Newcastle and then beat Liverpool. That would just be hilarious. Um Dave, you've you've sent me my cheat sheet for this week, and I'm I'm not friends with you. Do you want to? Do you want to? It wasn't nice. I opened it, and I was offended by it straight away. Do you want to? Do you want to give give our give our friends the bad news and talk us through some head to head stats? Uh, I'll try. Yeah, I mean we we've mentioned in, in previous weeks we have this um, uh, comparison for past matches, and uh, this is looking for just the away games at Liverpool, and we have a, a traffic light system on there. So for every win, we've got a nice green circle, and for every draw, we've got a uh, an orange circle, and for every defeat, we've got a, a red circle, and there are lots of red circles. Uh, Anfield is not a, a happy hunting ground for, for Burnley over the years. Uh, we've got to go all the way back to 1974 for the last time we had a victory um, at Liverpool. That was uh, September 1974. Uh, Ian Brennan scored a goal in a 1-0 win. Jimmy Adamson uh, was manager that was a uh, a top flight first division game back in uh, the 1974-75 season uh, but since then uh, we struggled we've had uh, well we've had two draws we drew the following season we drew again in October 1975 uh, Peter Noble uh, scored the goal in a 1-1 draw that was a uh, a cup game um that was actually a league cup game third round um, but since then, uh, we had uh, defeat after defeat. So we, we managed to stop the rot somewhat uh, last season when uh, we got a 1-1 draw. Scott Arfield uh, scored um, and then Liverpool came back and, and equalised not long afterwards. Um, that was a 1-1 draw. That was uh, the first time we got a point at Liverpool uh, since 1975. A lot were cup games in between, to be fair. Um, I used to live over in Liverpool and uh, was quite fortunate that uh, there were quite a few cup games that came up. Uh, we played them. Um, 1983 uh, was the uh, semi-final of the uh, Milk Cup, as it was then. The, the League Cup had been sponsored by the Milk Marketing Board. Um, Burnley went to Anfield in February 1983 um, and a little bit unlucky uh, in some ways to, to lose 3-0 in the first leg. Um, they came back and won the second leg, 1-0 at Turf Moor, but that, that wasn't enough and uh, and Liverpool got through to the final and, and Burnley lost out. Um, but the next three games after that were all uh, cup games as well. Uh, we drew Liverpool in 1994 uh, in the League Cup. Um, we played them at Anfield and lost 2-0. Uh, we lost 1-0 the following season. These were both under uh, Jimmy Mullen as manager. Uh, Liverpool lost, uh, Burnley lost to Liverpool 1 0. Uh, we had an FA Cup game. We played them in January 1997. A very, very cold day at Anfield. Um, Stan Collymore scored the goal for uh, for Liverpool. They won 1 0. They scored early on. And uh, I think, if I remember rightly, it was uh, Chris Brass who uh, had a man marking job on, on Steve McManaman that day and didn't really. Uh, give him a lot of, uh, of joy, but Liverpool scored early on, hung on to the lead and, and won 1-0. And then Premier League era, we came back, we had a, a bit of a gap then before we played them in uh, 2009 for the first Premier League season. We played them fairly early on, that was a, a heavy 4-0 defeat. We were uh, winning at Turf Moor but couldn't win away from home. We'd already had a couple of heavy home de- uh, away defeats. Uh, we lost 4-0 at Anfield, uh, we lost 
2-0 under Sean Dyche in his first game against Liverpool at Anfield. Um, the following season, 2016-17, uh, Ashley Barnes scored uh, a goal, uh, but we weren't able to win that one. We lost uh, 2-1. Liverpool came back in that game. And then, as we say, last season uh, was 1-1, but a draw compared to some of the games in between. We, we have actually had eight wins um, in matches over the years, but majority of those are going back to uh, pre-World War II. We've only actually had um, a couple of wins. We had a win in uh, 1950, uh, we had a win in 1962, and a win in 1974, uh, but that's it. It's been very, uh, very difficult place to go, not just for Burnley, to be fair, but for uh, other teams as well. Um, so it's going to be a, a tough one, as we know, on Sunday. Well, that was depressing. <laughs> uh, Robbie, obviously we know what the, the head-to-head stats are going to say, but Liverpool have been st- you know, stuttering a little bit towards the end of the season. They've, they've handed the title initiative um, back to City. And when I was watching the, the Merseyside derby on Sunday, I couldn't quite figure out what, what result was good for us. Um, and I think I figured out in the end that, didn't really matter. None of them were because if they'd have beat Everton and gone back top, they were going to have to beat us to stay top. And now, if they've now lost the lead, albeit it's only a point, they're going to have to beat us to try and get back or stay on City's tails and hope they um, slip up. But do you think that there's a vulnerability to, to Liverpool that we can maybe if we just get really stubborn and not let them play, we can try and nick something? Yeah, possibly. I think our last two displays at Anfield have been really positive. Uh, albeit we've only got one point, but. Uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly, I would say there's certainly more pressure on Liverpool going into the game after a disappointing result in, in at the weekend. Um, I, I try not to, f- uh, to think about that they put five past Watford last week. Um, but I think if we can, if we can get back to our best, then we can have that two, really, uh, two banks of four and be really like tough to break down. Then I do actually fancy us to actually get something as again as. As I as like as I have said before, it's like there's no sort of like no pressure on us again. It's sort of like that. Yeah, we're expected to get beat. So if we can go into it with that kind of mentality and just hope we can nick a point, then that'd be great. What about you, Dave? Do you think there's got any chance, or do you think it's just going to be brutal? I think it's going to be tough for us. It's um, it's a really difficult place to go. We've um, had some uh, performances last couple of seasons, certainly uh, been been better than we'd seen prior to that. Uh, but it's always going to be a very tough game. And I think watching, they, they didn't fire on all cylinders. You, you hope that Liverpool have the sort of day perhaps they have against Everton and Liverpool can put up that sort of uh, rear guard uh, effort that Everton did. I thought they defended really well on Sunday. Michael Keane had a, a really good game for them uh, as well putting a few last-ditch uh, challenges. We're going to need to really do that and have, uh, um, you know, really on our guard defensively because we know Liverpool, the firepower that they have got when they're uh, when they're on their A game, um, it's really tough for any team to, to play against. So, yeah, I mean, my, my, my gut feel is, I mean, you, you go in hope and you hope you're going to get a win, uh, but you certainly don't expect to uh, to get one. But, you know, we've, we've seen already, you know, the, the likes of... Uh, performance we had at Manchester United recently, that was um, uh, maybe gives us more hope that we can uh, pull another one of those out of the bag and, uh, and maybe go one one better and get a, a victory finally at Anfield after, uh, after all these years. Oh, it sounds nice. I've just got a feeling, you know, I know I say this and then we'll end up getting beat 6-0 or something stupid, but I've just, I had a feeling about the Spurs game and I think it's the same. I think of all of the sides, I, I guess maybe no disrespect, but unless it was either Fulham or Huddersfield at home, I think out of all the other sides in the league that, that 
um, Liverpool really won't want to meet is us and especially as they always bemoan um, these amazing goalkeeping performances that we always take to Anfield um, and I just think our boys will maybe just have one eye looking over the shoulder and worrying about Cardiff and worrying about the teams around us um, and also be a little bit fired up by the loss of opportunity that they had with the Newcastle and Palace games and suddenly think you know what we're going to have to try and get some bonus points from somewhere and why not try so I'm going to I'm going to get stick my neck out here and I'm going to say I think we're going to get a win um, that is all we have time for looking um, ahead to the Liverpool game and it's been um, it's been a tough week, but I think it's been an important week for us all to assess where we are in this season. Um, I think it was an important task to look at where we're going to pick some points up between now and the end of the season, and more importantly, where um, Cardiff are going to pick their points up, especially that five-point deficit they've got to claw back on us. So uh, it, it, it feels worrying by instinct, but actually, if you put a rational head on it, we're probably going to be all right. Um, so who do we have to thank this week? Well, obviously, thanks to Dave and Robert for joining me this week and just putting a really calm, sensible head, even for Robbie as well, which was fantastic, um, analysis on, on everything that's happened this week. And thanks to producer Matt for editing and putting all of this together for us. Um, but thanks, as ever, to you for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. We will be back next week to celebrate a victory away at Anfield. Um, and if you've got any questions, or any suggestions in the meantime then please do contact us on the usual channels I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Known and Ever podcast until next time TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.